Hi, my name is Evelyn Hearns, and you're listening to The Patagonia Problem. Today, I'm joined by Daniel Achimpong, co-founder and partner at Visible Hands. Visible Hands is a pre-seed venture capital fund focusing on investing in women and people of color and supporting them as they build transformational technology companies. In this episode, you'll hear us discuss how Visible Hands is setting out to manufacture privilege for women and people of color, what types of companies and founders most investors miss, and why building a company with a social mission isn't at odds with making a lot of money. I learned a ton from Daniel in this episode, especially the ways in which building a company that aims to solve racial and gender inequity can have huge economic potential and build wealth for generations to come. Overlook these guys at your own risk. And with that, let's get started. Daniel, thanks for, for coming on. <laughs> great to great to connect as always. I thought just to kick things off, maybe you could tell me a little bit more about the origin story for Visible Hands. How did you come up with the name? I'd love to kind of hear your, your thoughts on that. Absolutely. Always good to see you, Evelyn. <laughs> um, so, so for us, when it comes to Visible Hands, I mean, we've been thinking about this for a long time. But really, the idea began to crystallize about eight to nine months ago. And we began asking ourselves, you know, why is it that when we look at, uh, you know, the entre- entrepreneurship landscape or the VC landscape, that there's not a lot of women or underrepresented founders who are receiving the support that they need to grow and scale with their business? So we, see, and we began to just see really, really huge gaps. And for us, I began to see it as myself. If I wanted to start a business, there's so many different hoops that I have to flip through. So our team, we, we came together, we began to, as we were asking ourselves, we began to do a lot of research and began to learn, we realized that there's just this huge gap between folks who, especially if they want to start a business, that how do they even get the resources? How do they find capital? How do they identify a co-founder? How do they find a network? So I began to realize that some of the, these things were lacking within my own ecosystem. So I said, you know, I, I, my, 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 one of our, my co-founder, Justin, and our team, said we should do this because there's a lot of folks who don't have these resources like ourselves and we we just have to do it and change the the face of entrepreneurship yeah no i think that that makes a lot of sense and i, I know in in the past and in some of your your on your website and some of your materials you've kind of talked about this idea this concept of manufacturing privilege um so can you speak a little bit more about kind of how that works we, we use the phrase manufacturing privilege because you know, we think that becoming an entrepreneur is a privilege, right? And we th- so we really think about it in three categories. So the first thing is the financial capital piece. With the financial capital, there's a huge VC funding gap. So if women and entrepreneurs of color make up about 70% of the U.S. population, that population keeps getting skipped over, right? So when we look at the VC funding, about 2%, um, if, if a woman is an all-female founder team, they get about 2% of VC funding. If it's a black founder, um, is is just under two percent, and if it's a black female founder or black or a Latin X female founder, it's almost non-existent. So there's a huge capital piece here that they're missing, and in addition to the financial capital piece, there's a historical wealth gap. So for a place like Boston, the median net worth for a black family is eight dollars, but if you look at the comparable amount for a white household is approximately a quarter of a million dollars. You know, it's, it's difficult for someone to come from a household that has $8, $8 in net worth to say, I'm going to start a business. Very, very difficult. 
So that's the you know one piece there, the, the financial capital piece. The second piece is the social capital. If we look at Black and Latinx founders, about 80% of that population who actually start a business, 80% of them don't have an employee other than themselves to actually scale and grow that business. All right. And then the third piece is the inspirational capital. The inspirational capital is that they don't have that network of people who, who are saying, hey, I've done it and you can do it too. So what, how we think about manufacturing privilege is that how can we bring the resources to ensure that people have meaningful financial support? That they are that we can facilitate a network through which they will find co-founders or advisors. And the third piece is really expand their ecosystem. That's how we want to. We're thinking about manufacturing privilege, bringing the resources around them. That makes a lot of sense. As a, a woman, like I, I could totally, I, I see the gap. I, I hear where this fund could be really valuable to me personally. But can you help me understand, like, why you feel like this area has historically been overlooked, and where you see the greatest opportunity for for a VC fund to come in and um, and really build there? This actually goes back to the point um, that I was making earlier, Evelyn, about the seventy percent of the U.S. population is under is racial minorities and women, right? Mm-hmm. Just think about that economic opportunity there. 70% of the U.S. population. And what's even interesting is that 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 population tend to be the driving force of consumption. So that's just a huge market opportunity for us to to tap. So for, for VCs, for corporations, this is a really important opportunity to say, you know, how can we actually make the market more efficient? Right. So we call ourselves visible hand and our name really comes from this economic theory of the invisible hand. You know, the invisible hand says that if you leave, leave the market forces to itself, it will it will it will self-correct for everyone. I mean, clearly, as we've seen that that's not the case for especially what we're seeing in the streets right now, that that's not the case because a huge portion of the population keep getting left out. What if we were able to really tap this population in a way that we can really push the, 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 these individuals to have the highest and best use. Just imagine how we can actually push forward the economy, create more uh, economic growth. I mean, this is just a huge market opportunity that has been historically missed. And we want to ensure that we change that landscape. When you think about the types of founders who, you know, you hope to invest in, and you talk about this, like this is 70% of the market. I've heard from, you know, that a lot of times when VCs think of like investing in, and say, let's say a woman founder or a black owned founder, then they tend to think of, oh, well, you know, a woman founder, like maybe she'll do something that's good for women. Maybe she could do like a really great beauty brand, for instance. Do you foresee, do you feel like the greater opportunity is in underrepresented founders, like minorities, people of color, starting um, businesses for people that look like them? Or do you feel like there's another opportunity here too, where uh, it's also just related to just any type of business opportunity, same as if it was a white guy kind of building a payments product? You know, I, I do think that people, when people who are closer to problems tend to have deep insights to those problems. I just had a call right before this with a woman who is helping lead Tesla's analytics She's a black woman, rock star, also came from Bridgewater, uh, and she so came from finance and tech. And we were talking about how she can actually also build a company. Just imagine that untapped potential, right? So when, you know, VCs don't really uh, expose or open their lenses to say, you know what, we have traditionally looked at a, a, a typical framework and we've used that framework to make decisions, you know, and, and, it, and it, for them, it becomes hard because if you've done something for so long 
the same thing for so long and it seems like it's actually proven a certain track record people it becomes hard for them to move away from that but there's a missed opportunity missed opportunity of folks who can actually um, expand the you know the, the 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 return capacity so you know what we're saying is that look there's so much talent out there there's so much untapped wealth out there um, and we can really partner up with underrepresented founders to really build amazing businesses. And to your point, Evelyn, you know, there's this assumption that a, a woman can only create women products. I, 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 significant, I, I, I totally disagree with that. You know, this woman from Tesla, I mean, she could build the next Tesla, right? So there's just so many missed opportunities and we want to ensure that we have a platform to allow people to create. And I know that in the past, you and I have talked about a, a company like called Squire, um, where they sure. ended up, yeah, creating um, uh, a, a company that, if I understand it correctly, um, it's designed for barbershops. And, and it was interesting to me about that story was, was two uh, black founders who created something that was, as a white woman, I might never create. To me, what's interesting about a company like Squire is you could go in that direction, perhaps. Maybe there are some like opportunities if you're closer to the problem, maybe they're really obvious, but that that shouldn't be a way to kind of limit like a, a founder Absolutely. that there's, there's also a, a very broad range of industries or, or areas of expertise in the same way like a white male founder might discover i mean that that's spot on evelyn so there's a that's spot on so those, those two guys from squire i mean they I, you know they they really saw a really amazing opportunity um in in the market for Barbers for black black folks like we we love going to get our haircuts. You know, black men we love going to the barber shops about two times, you know, sometimes two to three times a month, right? So if you look at the, the just the cash flow of that is about twenty dollars a haircut. The barbers they're making really interesting stream of cash flow. So to create technology that ensures that they have an efficient process, it's a huge market opportunity. And there's another company that I thought was really interesting, and this really hits, you know, goes to the core of what we say is that we focus on people who have deep insights. You know, we don't care if a person have one or two, three ideas. That doesn't matter. Is that the deep insights? So there's a company that we we also really like called Tala, founded by um, a, a, a woman called Shivani. So Shivani worked at United Nations Population Fund. She was working uh, trying to understand how poor communities in different places around the world, how some uh, some people there start businesses. She realized that a lot of these folks don't have access to credit or money. So she was lending money out of her own pocket, right? And she did it to one person. That person paid her back and then ex expect, expanded the word to other folks. And now she's done so well, built a phenomenal business that she's raised over $200 million in funding. So that was deep, deep insights to create a really great opportunity. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I think that another thing I've kind of noticed that I feel like with VCs is that sometimes, you know, they hear the word, they, they hear a story like that and they're like, oh, microfinancing, that seems like a good nonprofit idea. Or like, I see the value there, but do you feel like that people kind of are overlooking the economic opportunity there? And can Absolutely. you speak more? Absolutely. I think people are certainly overlooking the economic opportunity. You know, this even to talk about Squire or there's another company called Maven. You know, Maven, Deshaun, the, the, the founder, he was doing it as a side hustle. And this was, Maven basically is a, is a platform to sell hair extensions, right? And in the Black community, that's a really, really big market. And you look at the economics of that. I mean, it's just the, the opportunities for, for women to do their hair and to, to continuously have the um, flexibility to change those hairstyles. It's a huge fashion opportunity that 
who look at the economics, he was like, you know what, how can I use technology to scale this in, and, and get people more access to the hair extensions? Typical VCs may not see this like, oh, this is a small business, but I mean, the black population make up about 17% of the U.S. population, right? And I mean, if you speak to African-American women, they will explain to you the importance of, for example, something like hair extensions. So those are missed opportunities that typical VCs have not been tapping into. When I, when I think about the reasons for why they miss it, do you think it's just not being close enough to the problem? Yeah, I, I think that's a huge part, right? Like if, you, if they're not close enough to the problem, they don't understand the need and the use of it. For me, as a, as a, as a Black man and going to the barbershop two to three times every month or so, I see the cash flow of this. When I saw a company um, like Squire, it just made sense because you just you see the flow of people and you see the, the the transactions that are taking place and and it's similar to anything the closer that you are to the problem i think you have a deeper insights there's more curiosity to understand the economics and also just the mechanisms of it but i also want to make a point here is that to even to the point about women and that women only create female products right i don't think that has to be the case there are folks who um you know th that could create who can learn and adapt and 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 also get exposed to it um but definitely people who are close to the problem i think tends to have a deeper insight one thing that i'm also kind of thinking about your, your earlier insight and why you named it visible hand yeah that fundamental economic theory around the invisible hand it, it's a really interesting take i think on capitalism but I, I i'm guessing that there might be people out there who kind of hear what you're doing and, and they might even go so far as to say like oh that's kind of anti-capitalist what would you say to the people who who believe in this kind of invisible hand theory and that do believe that the market corrects itself and what, can you talk more about what you feel like they're missing yeah you know i i i, I mean i i'm a capitalist so i believe in i believe in capitalism with the invisible hand I mean, what we've seen is that the market you know the market does have faults what we're seeing here is that how can we make the market more efficient how can we make it more inclusive because there are folks who have not been historically included i mean even if we look at just the typical numbers right for um we look at the top the top MBA schools or a school like Stanford. Stanford has about 47% of the student population are women. And this is comparable to Wharton to HBS. Um, and then for student, students of color is around, depending on the school, is around between five to 10%. But then if you look at tech companies and their hiring, if we look at Fortune 500 companies, women who are leading those companies make up less than percent. I don't know how we can look at those numbers and say that the market the market is fully efficient for everyone. And now if we look at what's happening in the world um, as it relates to the, the racial um, injustices that we've seen, if we look at COVID, COVID is impacting disproportionately people of color than any other communities. So clearly the market is not efficient for everyone. So what we're saying is that how can we actually create a platform that allows people to say, hey, how can I use my talents to its highest and best use to create a business, to, to build a tech company and really create transformative wealth for the, within the next generation? 
by the way, I should have prefaced this by I agree with you, but I was trying to think absolutely. of like ways that like like no, critical views of this. And I think that it's interesting because I think that the picture that you paint is really like a, a win-win scenario, right? It's like mm -hmm. the, the market isn't efficient by investing in these companies. We're ultimately creating more wealth for everybody. Absolutely. Uh, where do you think the role of government, nonprofits, the social, the public sector, like how do you see that playing in here? Do you think that action by government is dependent would kind of help make a visible hands a success? Or do you think that visible hands can kind of operate um, outside of, of government? I'd just be curious to hear your thoughts on private versus public is addressing some of the, the, the challenges you've kind of put forth. You know, I, the past three years, I did a, a combined degree, a dual degree at Wharton School for my MBA. And I went to Harvard for policy at the Kennedy School. And those were really important questions that I was trying, I was exploring that, how, what is the, 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 the interplay between government and business? to ensure that we are creating a platform to really support everyone, right? To, to push people forward. And I think government has a huge role. I mean, government has the largest balance sheet in the world. It's in the U.S., the U.S. government has the largest balance sheet in the world. It's also the largest employer. So the government just plays a huge role in moving the economy. So when it comes to entrepreneurship, I think there the government plays a huge role um, in, in ensuring that we we can we continue to make regulations more flexible and and easy for people to create businesses um, and also providing the funding to ensure that we are we're actually supporting people and pushing them forward so, and u.s government we is also guaranteed approximately 25 to 30 percent of our incomes right so is a is a huge provider and also a huge contributor so it plays a, an important role ensuring that when it comes to regulations, we're making regulations flexible for folks who traditionally haven't, wouldn't have had access to create companies that they can do so, and then putting the financial resources in place to allow them to do so. So I know there's the SBA fund and others, but you know there are also other ways to, to really think about how government, private and public partnership can, can come into play and work together. And do you think that one thing that's obviously been in the news a lot is, is following the, the murder of George Floyd? We've had to have like a very real conversation about systemic racism that was happening in, in many circles for a long time. And that was a known issue for many. Um, but like, I, I think that, you know, there's now been more of a, a national dialogue, a national conversation around this. And so when you take something like racial inequity, it, it sounds like what you're saying is that there's there's a role that government can play here and there's also something that the private institutions can play what would a private solution to this look like would it be something like a visible hand what what are other kind of private solutions that if, if there's any that are off the top of your head that would kind of help to yeah. solve or, or at least help to address some of these like really systemic social issues that we we see absolutely so you know i, I think there, there are many things that um, companies could do for example, when it comes to, um, you know, recruiting, you know, we should look at our recruiting practices. I mean, there, I've been, I've worked at companies that I was only the black employee for many years, right? And this is not by an accident, right? And, and even if it is by an accident, we should really take a look at it and say, how did this happen for many years? So I think the recruiting practices to ensure that we have a more diverse culture, um, it's important. And to, you know, to what I mentioned earlier about the different schools, right, the different graduate programs that, that I've been exposed to, if Wharton has 47% female class and about 4% Black students and Stanford has about 47%, really similar to across many schools, 
why is it that the, the when it comes to the Fortune 500 companies, the women who are leading these companies are only in a low single digits, right? I mean, half of a class. All right, so that, that just doesn't make sense. So we definitely need to look at our recruiting practices. The second thing for companies to do is that to actually ensure that, you know, when people come in, that they, they feel accepted and they, that they actually want to stay. So this is the inclusion part of the diversity. Like make sure that people have the ecosystem, that they have the team, they have the mentors. They, there's actually funding to support programming so that they, they, they feel like they're part of the company. For us at, at Visible Hands, is that there's a there's an economic piece, right? This is a, there's a huge wealth gap, right? For a, a family that has a median net worth of eight dollars, when you for a black household and you compare it to a white household of a quarter of a million dollars, there's a huge wealth gap that needs to be addressed. So there's an economic piece of wealth business creation and ensuring that we put the ecosystems around you know entrepreneurs to really really build transformative companies and have transformative wealth within a generation. One, one thing that's really interesting to me about Visible Hands is that you, you definitely walk the walk and talk with the, the talk, you know, like, it, like it's, it, you, you, you are a diverse founding team. And I think that that does in many ways kind of uniquely position you to understand some of these populations. But could you talk a little bit more about kind of how you're thinking about building your own team? From what I understand, you, you all are in your early days. And so how are you thinking about your own sort of recruiting and hiring practices, as well as just like your, your advisor network and, and the people that you pull into your, your circles? We've been really, really methodical about it. So, you know, my, you know, me and Justin, we, we, we spent a lot of time saying, look, we don't want this to be an all male team, even if it's diverse. And, you know, Justin is, uh, he's Korean and I'm, and, and I'm, I was born in Ghana. Um, even though we, we come from different backgrounds ethnically, we still don't want it to be an all male team. We want to make sure that we have females involved. So we brought in Yasmin Cruz. Yasmin is a phenomenal. She, worked with Deval Patrick in helping, um, supporting him in raising his finances, especially when he was running for president. Um, you know, we, we brought in Tia Thompson. She graduated as one of the top 100 females in her class at Northeastern. So we brought her in as soon as she graduated. And then we also brought in Apoorva. Um, Apoorva is from JP Morgan, Google, and, and HBS, helping the city of San Jose really build out their tech infrastructure. So we really wanted to think about how we can make our team more diverse uh, because really the, 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 the more diversity we have, it just helps us think clearly. It helps us challenge our own assumptions. And when it comes to the financial piece, historically, diverse teams produce better results, better returns. So we want to ensure that we're producing better returns socially and also better return financially. Yeah, and one more piece that I'll add here is that we've also built out a massive network uh, we call our venture partner network. And these are folks who will be supporting our, our entrepreneurs, providing domain expertise and advice. They come from all over the world with interdisciplinary backgrounds. So folks from, I mean, different companies from Amazon, Yelp, tech, um, Tesla, folks who manage David Beckham's brand, really providing amazing insights and is, is, a, is a different breakdown of women and men. So we're really excited about what we're creating. Yeah, no, as, as you should be. The last question, just to kind of wrap things up, if people want to get involved, if they want to hear more about, about what you're doing, um, what's the best way to, to get in touch or um, to, to contribute to, to Visible Hands? People can find us at visiblehands.vc. Um, they can also find us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. We, we are there. And then the last piece here is that we're also really focused on raising capital right now. We're targeting a $15 million raise. 
to, to get this going, to, 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 to really change and transform the face of entrepreneurship. You know, we, we're willing to speak with, you know, investors, LPs to share with them what we're working on and, you know, really transform the future. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Daniel. I really appreciate you taking the time and always great to catch up. Evelyn, this is awesome. Thank you so much for the time.